Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. My name is Eli. I'm the high school pastor here at Burr Hickory. Appreciate y'all gassing me up this morning. Uh, appreciate that. Obviously, that's the high school crowd over there. Uh, man, I'm, I'm so glad that you guys decided to worship with us this morning. If you're new, welcome. Thank you for worshiping with us. I, I realized having kids, uh, there's a phrase that brings a whole new meaning. Kids say the darndest things. Now, working with high school ministry, like that should have come obvious, right? But it wasn't until I had a kid of my own. I've got a little daughter. She's about to turn three in October. And it's amazing what she picks up. Just the other day, my wife came home with her, and I was sitting in the living room. And when she came in, she said, hey, babe, I'm home. And I was like, <laughs> so confused. Sweetheart, why are you saying that? And my wife's like, "Uh, you say that literally every time you walk through these doors. I'm like, no way. Just the other day, uh, my wife and my daughter were playing in the playroom, and I was sitting with my son, and I heard in the other room, Mommy, get your finger out of your nose. We don't do that. And I was like, oh, we're picking up on them things, huh? Right? It's funny, um, we were watching a a TV show and I have got a very, I'm talking very active three-year-old daughter. Uh, She's got bumps, scrapes, bruises all over the place and she has one on her knee and the TV show, somebody got a bump or a scrape on their knee and they bent down and they, oh, and they started limping around. And so I'm not joking with you. For four days straight, every time my kid got up off the ground, she'd go, oh, I got a boo-boo, and like would limp everywhere. And while y'all think it's funny, after the second day, it becomes wildly annoying. <laughs> wildly annoying. You're trying to get somewhere, and you're like, come on, let's go. Um, but it's great. And so I, I learned this whole phrase of kids say the darndest things, and I realized it's because the parents say the darndest things first, Right. And I realized that my kid, what she was actually doing was intentionally watching me and picking up every single thing that I did. She was studying me. And you can see this. If you're a parent, you know this. And when you're doing something, you're interacting with your wife and your kid is just locked in and she's looking at you. And she asks all these things like, what does that mean? Or what does that mean? And they're they're soaking it in. And today in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us to be imitators of God just like our kids are imitators of who we are. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's an identifying statement there. And live a life of love. Now, if you've got your Bibles, can you highlight and live a life of love? Because we're going to talk a lot about that today. And it's going to be the whole back half of this. And just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And if you are new and you haven't been here, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And week one was chapter one. Shocker. 
And we found out because of who God is and what he has done for us by giving his son Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for me and you to be able to have a relationship with God, that he has adopted us as sons and daughters, and now we have an uh, eternal inheritance with him. So he's identified. If we are in a loving relationship with Christ— We've surrendered it to him. We are now adopted sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in chapter 2, he said, you were once spiritually dead, but because of what I've done, I've now made you alive in Christ. And then in chapter 3, he says, because you're alive in Christ, you now have freedom to no longer be in bondage to sin. And last week, Pastor Chip talked about this, and it was amazing The gospel changes everything, our heart, our soul, and our minds. Uh, A good buddy of mine named Shane Pruitt says it like this. The gospel changes who you are, and it also changes what you do. Changes who you are, but it also changes what you do. And I think oftentimes we get this mixed up in our theology. The gospel changes what you do, therefore you are. And that's wrong. That nothing that you can do can ever take the place of the grace and the salvation that Christ has given you. You are no longer good. We need the blood of Jesus to wash us white as snow. It's because of what he does is who we are. That's why he tells us to be imitators of Christ. That's why if you continue to go on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says it like this. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. That's an identifying statement. You are a child of God. For fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and in truth. And so today I want to talk about how to be imitators of God. But if you know anything about Ephesians... He gives us this example in the first three chapters. He tells us who we are in Christ. And then the back three chapters is how we live for Christ. And in chapter four, he says the gospel changes everything. Heart, soul, mind. And then he tells us how to be unified as the body of believers. Well, in chapter five, he takes the macro and he starts to go a little bit more into the micro. And so he tells us that we're supposed to be unified as one body, as believers in Christ, but also in our marriage. So how do we be imitators of Christ in our marriage? Here's why this is so important. Because your marriage matters. It matters What we're going to read today, and you will see this in a little bit, your marriage is a direct representation of the gospel for everybody to see. You are the metaphor of Christ to the church. That is your marriage. When the two become one, you are the example to the rest of the world of what God has done for his people. In ancient Rome, hypersexualized society, Worse than we ever thought about today. Over-sexualized. The gospel of Christ comes onto the scene. People start giving their life to Christ. Then they come into a Christian marriage. When the two now become one, they love each other. And people are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. 
You mean there's something different than what the world has to offer? And Christian marriage comes on the scene. And one of the ways that the gospel of Jesus blew up in ancient Rome was because of godly marriages. Your marriage matters. Your marriage matters to your kids, to your family, and to the rest of this world. And so I appreciate Matt giving me Ephesians chapter 5 today. And you'll see why here in this brief second. So if you turn with me, we're going to camp out Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Here we go. It says this, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And it's like, whoop, there it is. Here we go, baby. We're starting off strong today, right? Everybody kind of recluses, kind of sucks back. Here's that word, wives, submit. And everybody gets clammy and everybody gets nervous. And what's he going to say? You know why? Hear my heart on this. Because this may be one of the most misused and abused passages that we've ever had. Right here. We've taken this completely out of context. And can I say this? This is a caveat. And this is maybe more for me than for you guys. It's very specific. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Because I work with high school and college and young adults, can I say this? to the singles out there. That's not the same for your dating relationship. Can you stop giving a boy or a girl the privileges that only a married couple have? Man, some of us in here would have less pain, less scars if we stopped giving a boy or a girl the privilege that only a husband and wife should have. It's for married couples you're the representations of Christ in the church. Not if you're, I don't care how long you've been dating. When you make a covenant with God, the two separate now become one under Christ. That's what we're saying here. We're submitting ourselves under to the lordship of Christ. Both of us are submitting to Christ. Now, the picture of Christ in the church is the wife submitting to the husband. And here's what I want to do. Before we talk about what that word submit even means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, because that's a whole lot easier. I think we're going to free it up a little bit in here. Number one, what does that word not mean? Number one, it does not mean the wife isn't equal. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean that your wife isn't equal to you. For some reason, we've equated roles and function as hierarchy and authority. Roles and function do not negate equality. You're equal in the eyes of God. Here's the thing. We serve a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three in one. God the Father sent God the Son who sent the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, God the Father sent Jesus to come down here, humble himself, wash the dirt, guck, and poop off the disciples' feet. Does that make him any less equal than God the Father? Absolutely not. To triune God. So man, husband, wife, equal. If you don't believe me, Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. You were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with him. There's the identifier. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. All of you. We have different roles, 
We have different functions in the marriage, but every single person in this room is on the same even playing field. That's it. Your wife is as equal part to you as you are to her. Number two, it does not mean that your wife must always agree with her husband. Obviously, right? I don't think we need a chocolate Aussie doodle, but my wife violently disagrees with me, right? We had that conversation all week long this week, right? Now I know know I make it funny about that, but it's true. Husbands, your wife is not always going to agree with you. And can I put this caveat? Especially if you haven't put yourself under the lordship of Christ. Your wife is not always going to agree with you. Now I'm going to say this because I talked about this on Father's Day. um, And and I want to give this caveat. I love my dad. I don't have a great relationship with my dad. But my wife, my, my, sorry, my mother loves, loves, loves the Lord. I don't know if my dad does or not. It's going to be fully transparent with you. I don't know to this day. I watched my mom share Christ day in and day out. Does that mean that every single thing because of my dad's leadership that she should give into? Absolutely not. Acts chapter 5 verse 29 tells us that we must obey God rather than men. There's some of you out here that are in relationships that are wildly and unequally yoked. They are. One of you loves the Lord, one of you doesn't. And sometimes it's flip-flops in relationships and times and places and you're not walking with God and vice versa. Are we going to have disagreements and arguments in marriage? 1,000%. Can I ask you a question though? Married couples in here? Do you get into arguments or fights or disagreements to argue to be right or argue to what's the best thing for our relationship? That's the difference there. When you argue just to be right, you're separating yourself away from the faithful covenant and bondage of marriage rather than having disagreements and arguments about what is the best thing for our family. Too many of us, if we would just lay our pride down, we would have less disagreements and less arguments because we're not, we're arguing because we think we're some sort of hierarchical God that knows everything. Let's just table that and can we fight for our marriage and our relationships what's best for the family? What is the best thing for us? Not individually, for us. Does not mean the wife will always agree with her husband. Point number three. It does not mean that the wives don't have influence over their husbands. Read with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject, there's that word, submit again, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey, talking about the men don't obey the word of God, they may be one without word, but by the conduct of their wife. That we have influence over your husband. You have massive influence over your husband. A lot of times when I get into a situation, I don't know what to do. I may have already acted upon it. Guess who's my catalyst from whether or not I made a stupid decision or not? My wife. And I'll go to her and like, sweetheart, here's what's going on. But I won't tell her what I did. I just want to hear what she has to say. And I quickly realized I made a bad decision. Maybe I should go ask for forgiveness over here because my wife has influence over our relationship. Ladies, you have massive influence over your relationship. 
So what then is this word submit mean? I looked it up in the Greek. The Greek word here is hippotos. And in the, it's a military Greek term saying to arrange by formation or by rank, right? But I'm, I'm very interested in this non-military use. And I, I want to dive into this. It is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility. It is responsibility for you to come alongside of your husband and help and to help carry a burden. This has nothing to do with authority or position. It's responsibility. So what does that look like actively in our relationship? How then are wives supposed to submit to their husband? What does that look like? I'm giving you two things. Number one, it is to honor and to affirm his godly leadership. Wives, can I tell you, the only thing I want to hear out of my wife's mouth is like, hey, you're doing a great job, you know? Because I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like, dudes, the only thing I want to hear is like, hey, I see you. I know how hard you're working. I'm coming alongside of you. What do you need from me? And I know, I see it to affirm it. How do we do that? Point number two, you help him carry it through your gifts and your talents. Um, I'm going to do us a quick favor. Husbands, look at your wife for me. Go ahead, look at him and say, I need help. Yeah, go ahead. It's cool. Yeah. You can say it. It's fine. You know why I need help? My gifts and my talents are with people. I love to talk to you. I love to walk life with you. All these things. What I'm not gifted with is any sort of administration, organization. I'm ADD. I got piles everywhere. I'm a bum, right? When it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? My wife is administrative. She's really well organized and she keeps me straight, right? Guess what my wife is not? My wife is not an extrovert. She is an introvert. And so how can I help her? I come alongside of her when we walk into massive crowds like this or we walk into a social event and we come alongside of each other and we help. Husbands, we need help. You cannot do this alone. I know it's a macho thing to do. I got this. No, you don't. Mm -mm. No, no. If you're just being honest with yourself, you need help, right? Ladies, you have gifts and talents that we never even thought about. Never even thought about. We need your help. Desperately. Desperately. Let's keep reading. Ephesians 5, 23 through 24, it says this. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands and everything that we do. Husbands, you are the head of your household. You are the leader. This leadership is not passive. This is not, if you don't do it, your wife will. It is on you. And can I just, I'm going to throw this out there. You will stand before a holy God one day and answer for how well you led and shepherd your wife and your kid's heart. There is no passive when it comes to that. There's no like, whoops, I didn't know. You have been called to lead your family, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it. It's on you. You're the leader. You are it. How does that look, though? Like all of my life when I read this and I came to church, I gave my life to Christ and I was about to get married. It's like, you gotta be the leader of the family. You gotta be this. I'm like, I don't even know how to do that, man. I've never seen that in my life. I don't know what that looks like. It's not been modeled for me. Well, 
it's pretty easy. I, well, I should say it's easy. It's not. How does that look? Husbands, love your wife. Where did I get that? Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wife, right? It's right there. And then he gives the caveat, and I think this is the scary part. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wife as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, nobody has ever hated their own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. One author puts it like this, The important point in focusing on mutual submission, highlight and underline that. Husband, wife, under mutual submission to God is the husband being the head does not result in some position or privilege. It's a position of responsibility, dudes, in which the husband is to love his wife, give himself up for her, care for her, and nurture her. You know what I find really funny? A lot of times, guys are like, I'm not really good with those feeling thing, you know? I'm not, you know, I don't really do well with that. I don't know how to express that. It's funny that scripture tells us that we're supposed to be the initiator of love. We, men, are the initiator of love. It doesn't say here, wives, love your husband. It says, husband, to love your wife as Christ loved this church. Now, I don't know about you dudes, but that freaks me out a little bit. I don't know how loving you are, but I'm not loving to the point of sacrificial love where I'm going to give my only son so that you can have a relationship with me type of love. But God's called us to be the initiator in this human relationship with your wife. You're the one supposed to initiate love, not vice versa. I beg to say, I think it's quite often in our relationships where the wife is initiating the love and vice versa. Husbands, love your wife. Now listen, I spent a ridiculous amount of time. I went from like 14 to 15 points down to seven. We've landed on five today, okay? Dudes, Like, if you know anything about baseball, if you get two out of five, you had a great day. You know what I'm saying? Okay? So I know some of you in here are probably not going to get all five, but let's key into like two. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's good. It's like, it's pretty good for baseball. So here we go. How then are we supposed to love our wife? How are we supposed to initiate that? Right? Number one, and we've already talked about this, it's a sacrificial love. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. You know, I get to do a lot of pre-marriage counseling because I get to marry a lot of couples. And the one theme that I try to get them to understand is you are two separate people joining yourself under one lordship, Christ. And the rest of your life is nothing but sacrifice. Your will, your wants, your talents, your time, your emotions, your affections, all of it, submission, surrender, all of it. Dudes, when was the last time you looked at your life and was like, man, I, it hurt me 
to do this. It, I had to sacrifice something. You realize there's a cost to following Jesus. The cost is not looking like the rest of the world. Same thing in our marriages. I would hope that the church of God, the Christian marriage, would look wildly different than the rest of culture. I would hope the first and foremost thing that we must do is go, how can I sacrificially love my wife to the point where it hurts? Sacrifice, love. Sacrificial love. Point number two, it's a serving love. Listen to what Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Years ago, I was listening to a sermon by a guy named Matt Chandler. Uh, and, oh man, he was going in on dudes. I'm talking a little bit more angry than I am this morning, right? And he was talking about the laziness of men. He said, men, you should go to work. And you should work, 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 work your tail off. You should get in your car. You should drive home. You should pull into your driveway. And before you walk into your house, you'll need to stop, take a deep breath, pray to God, God, I have absolutely no physical, mental, or emotional stability left. God, I need your help to go inside right now to first check on my wife and then check on my kid's heart. That's what service is. Not, hey, I've come home, honey. Where's dinner? Look at all these things that I've done. I worked all day long. God's called you, husbands, to be initiator of love, to serve your wife. I know it's hard. Man, I've been there. I know how tired it is. You want to talk about tired coming off a student beach camp with 300 of these little jokers running around, right? Everything I wanted to do is go inside and sleep. And instead, God's called me to go in, to serve my wife, to check on her heart, go, babe, I know you've been here all week long. I know you've taken care of our kids. I know you've done everything. How are you doing? Talk to me. Then my responsibility, dad, is to go into the other room and take my little girl, throw her off to the couch, have a great time, wrestle with her, and check on her heart. Serve, serve, serve. Do you catch yourself going, what can I take or what can I give? What can I take out of this relationship or what am I giving to this relationship? Am I loving? Am I caring? Am I honoring? Am I supporting? Am I coming alongside of her? Am I leading her? Serve, serve, serve. Man, we got to start stepping up to the plate on this. You got to serve your wife. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, underline this in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Life of service, a life of surrender, a life of sacrifice. You see a common theme here? It's how we are Christ to the church, same in our relationship with the Lord. Number three, it's a faithful love. I've already said this, but I'm gonna read it to you, Ephesians 5, 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's faithful, it's a bond that you're standing in front of a holy God saying, forever, it's forever, not if I feel like it or if she makes me happy. or all. It is surrendering my life to the lordship of Christ and my wife to go, I am faithful to you, to you only. 
I know that you make me mad and frustrated and angry, but I'm faithful to you. Says this, Lamentations 3, 23 and 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are like new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's what we're supposed to model, husbands, right there. I don't know about you, but I'm wildly thankful that we have a God that doesn't count my wrongs and rather sees the blood of Jesus. Amen? So then why are we husbands making a list, checking it twice of every single thing our wife has done wrong and then try to loiter it over her head when the right time poses itself? Faithful. Nobody in this room is perfect. You're faithful to her and her alone. That means forgiveness when forgiveness needs. That means showing mercy when mercy needs. That's showing grace when he doesn't even deserve it. That's the type of love that we're supposed to have, which leads me to my fourth point. It's a caring love. Caring love. The most caring thing you can possibly do is continue to love her without any conditions. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I'm convinced that nothing Listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor neither angels or demons, neither fears of today or worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God because he's already overcome it. No power in the sky, above or below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the love that we need to model That's it. Fathers, we wouldn't have to teach our daughters how to date a good man if we're modeling it. If we look at that image and go, man, I love the way that my dad loves my mom. It's unconditional. If you don't believe me, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, and you know this. But I want you to read this in the context of marriage. Love is patient. Some of us aren't patient. It's kind. Some of you ain't kind. It does not envy, does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude, dudes. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love delights, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Highlight this for your marriage. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Always in the context of a relationship with Christ. I don't care how fractured or broken that you think your relationship is. God is a God that mends and makes things whole. And that's what he wants to do. Why? Because he is faithful to you and to me in the context. And he wants husbands and wife to lovingly care for each other. My last one, and I won't even give you anything after this. Actually, I will. It's a whole other point. But Colossians 3.19. I'll just let this speak for itself. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. And do not be harsh with them. You want to talk about something that's convicting? That verse right there. And do not be harsh with him. Will you be angered? Will you be frustrated? Yes. Yes. 
Does that mean you need to be harsh with them? No, I need to remove myself and go, God, I feel it swelling up, right? Feel the anger. Would you calm my mind, calm my attitude, calm my heart so I can lovingly walk into the other room and fight for our marriage? That's what it looks like. Last one, possibly one of the most important one. It's a sanctifying love. That word sanctification can be boiled down to the process of looking more like Christ in our relationship with Jesus. When you give your life to the Lord, you don't just magically tomorrow morning wake up and go, oh, look, I look like Christ. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's a constant every single day surrendering to Christ. Husbands, we are soul cultivators, okay? Be one thing to sit here and say that we would just shepherd attitudes. We're shepherding hearts. We're shepherding souls. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 5, 26. It says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. You will stand in front of God and you will give an account of how you shepherd your wife's heart how you led her closer to the feet of Jesus. That's it. That's the whole thing of marriage. You want to know how to lead your wife? Lead her to Jesus. That's that's all. That's all I know how to do. I'm no perfect man. There's nothing special about any of us other than the precious blood of Christ. Lead her to the feet of Jesus. I was sanctifying love that I yearn to see my wife grow. You want to slap in the face, church? And I'll, I'll admit this, so I'm blue in the face. I'll never forget this. When I got married, I woke up at 6 a.m. and my wife's in the other room, Bible wide open journal, and just gut punch, gut punch. Because what am I doing to lead her to the feet? She's leading me. Husbands, we've got to get serious about our own personal walk with God in order to lead anybody elsewhere. You can't lead somebody where you've never been before. You can't. It's a sanctifying love. It's a love that pushes my family closer to Jesus, not to us, but to him. So here's what I want to do today. A couple minutes left. We're going to end this a little bit different. Uh, Husbands, if you're in the room today, I want you to take your wife's hand. And in the next two to three minutes, I'm gonna ask you two to sit here and to pray with each other. Guys, because we're the initiators of love, I want you to be the initiator of this prayer. And listen, I know we're Baptists, but you can go Pentecostal for a moment. Like you can pray out loud, like God hears you. Matter of fact, so do we, and we love it, okay? I want you to pray out loud. Husbands, maybe you've realized today that you haven't been the godly leader that you need to be, would you just confess that? Not to your wife, but to the Lord. Your wife knows. She knows. Would you just confess that to him? Maybe you realize you haven't been loving your wife well. And maybe you do need to confess that to her and to God today. Or maybe, husbands, you've realized that you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And here's the thing. In order for this relationship to work, you have to be mutually submitted under Jesus. Do not leave here, husbands or wives, without surrendering your life to Christ. This doesn't work unless you're both sold out for the Lord. Wives, I want you to pray. 
Maybe you realize that you haven't been affirming and honoring and supporting and using your gifts to come alongside to help your husband. Maybe you need to confess that today. Kids, because I know there's a lot in here. I didn't think about you, right? Can you pray for your, for your mom and dad? Can you just pray for them? Can I, can I just be real honest? As the older I get, kids, the more I realize how hard this whole parenting thing is, this whole adult thing is. You should be praying for your parents. And I want you to see your parents praying for each other because I want you to, to pray for each other one day when you get married. If you're single in here, would you pray that you're the potter's clay, that God would mold you and shape you to become the husband or the wife that God desires you to be today? So during this next song, let this be action. Not just a sermon. Do something with it. Come to the feet of Jesus because here's what I know. God wants to restore your marriage. He wants to build it and flourish it for his kingdom. So I'm going to give it over to you guys. Dudes, be the initiator for the next two or three moments. Would you guys just take a moment to pray together? And when you're done, would you just stand and honor and worship God as best you possibly can? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.